to The Lifted Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Denham, and this is a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co-creators. All right, my friends, welcome to another episode. I'm so grateful. I'm so happy that you're here. If you're new to the show, episodes drop every Wednesday morning. And I'm Helen. I'm a meditation teacher and women's empowerment coach. And this podcast has just truly become such a special and happy place for me. And it's such an honor to be able to bring these conversations and these guests and thought leaders to you on a weekly basis. I really believe that moving the needle forward for humanity and becoming more connected as a species, you know, moving toward more love and alignment. It's really important that we do have these conversations, these thought provoking moments, and, you know, have a chance to get more introspective and begin to understand why we are the way that we are, and visualize who we want to be as individuals and as a collective. So of course, we have another stellar guest for you today. Bella Devine is here, and we're talking all about ancient wisdom, the quantum field, embodiment, and autoimmune healing, among many other things. And I actually mentioned a couple things in this episode that I almost took out for my own self because they're quite personal, and I just... I decided to leave them in because when I was going through these difficult experiences on my own, um, I really would have liked to have somebody openly talk about it and feel seen and heard because what I realize more and more is that we are just never alone in our experiences, no matter how far-fetched they are or they might seem like we are not alone. And it's usually that we feel that way because we don't hear people talking about it. So there are some conversation topics in here that might be triggering to some people, but um, Yeah, I think it's important. So I'll tell you a bit about Bella before we really dive in together. She comes from a lineage of Mexicans that originated from Toltec descent. She incorporates this Toltec and shamanic wisdom and their practices in her work as a mystic and spiritual mentor. She's been trained in trauma healing techniques and she uses subconscious, somatic, and energetic tools to heal trauma and activate that healing in others. She's a board-certified life and success coach with master certifications in NLP, hypnotherapy, EFT, and time techniques. She also is a certified breathwork practitioner and a Reiki master. And all of this wisdom that she has accumulated over time and these experiences that she had really comes through in her work and how she speaks. It's very clear like that her authenticity just shines through because she has lived it. She's really studied it and it's, it's really beautiful. So in this episode, we cover all of that. We cover ancient wisdom, the quantum field, embodiment, autoimmune healing, and just so much more. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you feel like a friend might benefit from what you're learning, what you're hearing, please do send it along and leave a review if you feel called. I'd be so grateful. And while you're listening, in the meantime, you can find Bella on Instagram at Bella Divine, and I'm at Helen Denham underscore. So hit us up. Let us know what you're learning. I love you. Thank you again for being here. And I'll talk to you on the flip side. First question I love to ask people is, how do you like to start your days off? Do you have any rising routines that you go to? Yeah, so my rising routines change all the time, but most recently it has been waking up and immediately just breathing and trying to think of things that I'm grateful for. So I'll just breathe and on every breath find something that I'm grateful for. And then I go upstairs to my yoga space and I do sun salutations every morning. I just like to start by moving my body these days. 
Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Do you have a, like a history with yoga and, and getting to know yoga? How did that become part of your practice? Yeah. So my mom and she, my mom is a very spiritual woman and she kind of raised me going to all sorts of different things. And yoga at a young age was something she introduced me to. And I became a yoga teacher. I think it was like four years ago now. I haven't taught too much live since, uh, since COVID, but I love yoga and it's, it's really beautiful practice. Amazing. So you were telling me a little bit that you are in Philly. Is that correct right now? Did you yeah. grow up there? Did you grow up on the East Coast? What's your, what's your upbringing? Absolutely. So I grew up between Mexico and here in Philadelphia, and I was kind of like always being bounced back and forth. My mom really wanted me to be connected to my culture and to my roots. And my, her mother is a very spiritual woman with like all sorts of teachings. And so I was either at my grandmother's house or here um, on and off for school years as well. So that's kind of, it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. <laughs> I love that. So did you grow up in a house where you were talking about energetics and spirituality and all of these kind of universal elements like what were the conversations like around you as a kid absolutely my my grandmother is of indigenous background and so she has a very unique perspective on the world and starting at a young age she i feel like she always wanted me to just be open to the spiritual world and so um if i was throwing a tantrum she would be like we're going to meditate and breathe together we're going to do breath work and um if i had like prophetic dreams or saw things or experienced things in my imagination uh, my family, my mom and my grandmother particularly never denied that and always like left space to hear out my experiences. And as I got older, um, my mother took it upon herself to take me to all sorts of different um, religious services, I guess. So uh, she took me to temples, she took me to shamans. So I guess not necessarily religious, but different spiritual backgrounds. I went to Sunday school, I went to Kabbalah school, and then I went to Quaker school for, for grade school. So she just wanted me to have a taste of everything before, I guess, before forming my own opinions. And I'm so grateful that she, she did that for me. That's so beautiful. It's so special. I feel like a lot of us start to come into our understanding of like who we are a little bit later when we like find friends who get it. But that's so special that you had like that nurturing environment. Did anything like in particular stick with you through like your schooling, like from any of these different teachings? Like did anything stand out to you in particular that really resonated? I feel like the things that stuck with me were more like more so... Mm, the things that stuck with me had more to do with the individual teachers that I had. So there was, for example, a shaman that my family likes to go to in Mexico. Uh, his name is Roberto. And he was like, you are never going to work a traditional job. You need to be free. You need to have space to roam and to like go do things out in the world. And you need to pursue the passion. And if you don't do that, you're not going to be happy. And he said that to me when I was like, I don't know, 14. And I was like, okay, cool. I heard you and I always had that voice in the back of my mind. Um, there was also a teacher that I had who said something um, because I, I love creativity and I feel like storytelling is so at the root of the work that I do both spiritually and when it comes to creative writing. But um, he said, once you realize that everything's been done before, you become free to be original. And I think that probably relates to a lot of listeners just because in the world of 
um, constant content creation, <laughs> um, it can feel difficult to, to know how to find your, your unique and authentic voice. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that because when I was thinking about you and when I first came across your work, I was like, you say things in a way that I've never like seen or heard said before. Like you have a way of communicating and activating things within your community that just like, it's not like you're copying and repeating, which I think can be easy to do. And I'm, I'm still finding myself kind of shifting into more authentic like storytelling. So was it, is it that you've been practicing and, and learning so much over time that you now feel so comfortable talking about these topics that you can kind of riff on it? Like, where do you find that your authenticity comes from? Yeah, so that's a really great question. So I, although I grew up between Mexico and the States and, and have a very mixed background and was exposed to spirituality, I also grew up in an urban environment where people were like, you're a witch, or like, what are you talking about? Or they'd be making fun of me and be like, oh, Bella, does it have to do with the moon cycles? And so at some point in my teenage years, I got really disconnected from the spiritual path. And kind of went into a very rebellious path due to things happening, traumas happening in my personal life and um, sneaking out, going to parties, experimenting, all that kind of stuff. And I feel like I found myself surrounded by people who just were not open to, um, to the path at all. And so I closed myself off from it for some time. And then when I was in college, I feel like I just hit a breaking point where I was like, I need to come back to this. And I had still been doing yoga and like, meditating here and there, but it wasn't like consistent and it wasn't as deep as it, as it, it actually is for me. Like I was only scratching the surface of myself, I feel. So it started with kind of hitting a low, um, maybe when I was like 19 years old. And at that point I was like, this is, I just hit a point where I was like, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to live a life that isn't 100% authentic to me. And so my mantra became this phrase that came through to me. It was, authenticity is your strongest currency. And I just started repeating that to myself. And um, really, I think something that helped me, um, there were two things. One is that I studied creative writing in college, which ex uh, it exposed me to so many different psyches and perspectives on the world and interpretations and i feel like language although it can limit us it also um can be such a beautiful tool to like express our inner artist in the world so i feel like finding my voice came through writing every day and reading all the time but um along that path in college i i decided that i was going to travel the world I went to like eight countries with my best friend for three months. We were just, we were like 20, 21 years old and um, found so many teachers along the way that just kind of affirmed like, yeah, the spiritual path is for you. And so from there, when I came home, I was like, okay, I'm ready to like leave behind anything that isn't fully in alignment. I started studying different spiritual modalities, getting certifications. And, um, and I think that the language came naturally to me just because I, I was, I was always uh, practicing writing and finding my voice in that way. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That makes so much sense hearing that from you now. Is there any, like, were there any books or any kind of teachers that were really instrumental to you that stand out knowing that you went to school for writing? Yeah, absolutely. So while I, I studied creative writing, which is like a totally different ballpark, but 
I loved learning the ins and outs of language. And I believe that like when we know the rules, we can break the rules. And creative writing brings something to the table that most spiritual books don't. So I try to fuse that a little bit. But in terms of spiritual books that really influenced me, um, and as a starting point, uh, just connecting more deeply with Toltec wisdom was really awesome for me. So like the Four Agreements, books by Don Miguel Ruiz. And I actually got to work with his son in a circle um, a Toltec circle. And so that was really special. Uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza's books totally changed my life as well. Uh, Wayne Dyer. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those are a few. Yeah. It's a great, great, excellent starting point for a list there. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Joe Dispenza, especially. Oh my gosh. Something about like, well, yeah, not so much for the writing, but just understanding that like there is something very physical happening to us based on our emotional state and our emotional well-being and that our bodies are manifestations of our emotions. Um, so I wanted to touch on that with you actually as well is how do you find that um, emotions and trauma get stored in your body? Um, do you find that that resonates with what you're learning and what you're unraveling with your community as well that we hold a lot in our bodies? And, and I guess how do you lead people through embodiment work? Great question. And so I guess this leads to like another important point in my story as well, which is that uh, my big in into having kind of a unique approach in the coaching industry was not through the coaching industry at all. Um, we have a family friend who is a psychotherapist from a shamanic lineage, and she basically took me under her wing as a mentee and taught me a lot of things, trained me in a lot of things and was able to get me in to train for a year with Dr. Bezel Vanderkoek, although everyone else in the training was like a formally trained psychiatrist or psychotherapist. So I was able to work with him in an intimate group of 10 people. And the work that we did was all about understanding how to unravel and reprogram trauma in the body. And I think one of the most beautiful things that I learned was that the subconscious mind and the conscious mind, but really the subconscious mind cannot tell the difference between a real and an imagined memory. Therefore, when we practice reenactment work and we allow ourselves to revisit, you know, the sites of our original pain and allow ourselves to, let's say, give our inner child the um, ability to protect themselves that they didn't have when they were originally traumatized, uh, our brain takes that and integrates it and says, okay, cool, that, that has some closure now and I'm not gonna get as triggered when that situation, or you know, when that memory comes up, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. I mean, it seems like we're on like a new frontier here with all of this work, like our kind of like millennial age group, I, I guess is just kind of moving into this new understanding of, of reality, but it really does bring in a lot of ancient wisdom, doesn't it? Do you feel like there is a cross between ancient wisdom that you're learning from shamanism and your family and this new kind of science that's coming in? Do you see some crossing there? One, 100%. I think specifically when it comes to understanding that everything is energy and like ultimately trauma in the body is energy that has been left unaddressed. And so it needs, it gets stuck somewhere. Um, and particularly like Mexican shamanism is all about um, understanding how to perceive energy and understanding how our ability to perceive energy also directs energy. Yeah. So there's absolutely a correlation there. Yeah. 
I, I love that you brought up reenactment work too. And like going back to the point of trauma and, and can you explain to us like what that looks like when you're working through reenactment and helping somebody with that? Yeah. So I, um, I work with reenactment work in a few different ways. The two major ways are inner child work and then family constellation work. Um, and so when it comes to inner child work, it looks like making contact with the inner child again and checking in with um, their needs, having a conversation with them. And so you can do this in a lot of different ways. Um, you can do it in the subconscious. So through something like hypnotherapy, which is a tool that I love to use. And you can also do it by reenacting in physical space. I do think it's important to have a practitioner for that sort of thing, but you can work with objects in your space or my personal preference is to um, kind of enter like a ritual mode and have the names of either your child self or, um, a family member that you want to work with and create like a little, um, a little space where you can enter energetically and kind of interact with these pieces of paper as if they were the actual embodiment of a past version or a future version of you or someone else in your family. Uh, so I feel like it can be a little difficult to summarize in, in just a few sentences, but um, it's essentially just bringing forward um, yeah, people, people, situations from either the past or the future so that you can um, have a, have a more fulfilled present. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see the new like Goop series that came out? They did constellation work in one of them. It was uh, like Sex, Love and Goop. It was their new series on intimacy and embodiment they had an awesome segment with um, constellation work, but they actually had people like come in as channels um, to embody the grandmother or anybody from their past that needed to come through. So is it like the same thing with these objects? Like can, how do you, how do you work with the objects to activate the healing that's needed? Absolutely. So that is original, like the original constellation work uh, founded by Bert Hellinger. That was the first modality I was formally trained in by the psychotherapist uh, with the shamanic background in Mexico, the woman who mentored me. So she is she runs a constellation school in Mexico. And as she has been able to pull in other thought leaders in the trauma field, her work has evolved and she's kind of trained us in new ways that we can utilize the same principles of constellations without needing physical bodies present. It's really amazing when you get to be in a physical constellation and someone's like, you know, um, embodying the energy of your father and just tapping into what we call the knowing field and they just like know information about you. I mean, it is truly some of the most life-changing work you can do. But I think it can also be really overwhelming. And um, if you struggle with trust, it can feel a little, uh, yeah, just a little overwhelming and a little bit uncomfortable to have to, you know, bear your heart to an audience of people. And so uh, for somebody who might be newer to the work, I think it's a really beautiful way to start with either working uh, with the pieces of paper or with the objects. And it's the same principle. So the way that it works is we generally want to provoke the feelings that we want to work with or get clear on the limiting belief that we want to work with or the trauma. Having clarity before going into it is really important. And then we can step into the knowing field. You have a practitioner initiate you into the knowing field and kind of hold you through it. Um, and as the practitioner, I think the most important thing and the most important reason why people should be trained in this is that you don't want to insert yourself in the family dynamic that you are facilitating because that can be detrimental to the, to the client and to yourself, right? So we're working really deeply with 
ancestral energetics in these sessions so it's important to know how to like protect your energy as well oh my god this is so fascinating <laughs> it kind of reminds me correct me if i'm like off here but like reiki how we can do distance healing with reiki because everything is energy as you were saying before so we can manipulate it from any physical space any timeline um so what is your perception of the knowing field um is that the right terminology that you just mm -hmm. used how do you perceive this knowing field, like this cosmos, if you will? Like, what's your perception of it? I think if I had never experienced it, I would probably be skeptical of it. But my constellation, my first constellation that I ever had completely changed my life. Um, and I'll keep it short, but essentially, I every single person on both sides of my family is divorced. And I had this feeling that like, that was just going to be me, that love that lasted was not possible for me. And I just kept replaying these patterns. And my mentor, Suhei, uh, took me through this constellation at a coffee shop and she used a shamanic wheel. So you can also do it with like a Lego. She literally had Legos and a shamanic wheel, but it completely changed my trajectory and my ability to have healthy relationships. And I felt the energy of the whole experience. So um, I would say, though, that the knowing field, just like there is the quantum field where uh, we can tap into all of the different potentials for our current reality. The knowing field is the field where all energetic information of our family lineage exists. So it's like, where are these threads connecting us to our family um, exist and where we can kind of begin to modify where there might be um, imbalances. And so the knowing field is all about correcting energetic imbalances. And I'll share with you, if you're curious, a little bit about like the foundations of constellation work. We work with what are called the orders of love and the hierarchies of love, which basically states that, um, you know, depending on what order you were brought into this world in your family, you have a specific role. So if your parent, the caretaker, is putting you in the position where you have to take on the role of a parent, then you're gonna have a serious energetic imbalance, not only in your dynamic with them, but also in all other areas of your life. And so that's what constellation work seeks to um, kind of amend. Oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. I'm so happy that we're talking about this because I had just had a ping and I was like, I wonder who possibly knows about this and if this is like a thing. So when you were doing your own work with your family and like the divorce pattern that was coming through, what was it that activated the healing for you there? Like what was your process like of, of getting through that and then changing your own behavior and belief? Mm. Well, so there were a few things that came up, but the thing that impacted me the most was just under like witnessing my mentor know things about my family that she had no way of knowing through the experience we draw she had me drop and so there are many different ways to do constellations the shamanic wheel is one way i you know that's that's more so to be done in person so that one can't really be done virtually but so she had me drop these pieces that were representative of my family members onto the shamanic wheel and depending on where they fall we can read and interpret and so she had me drop um, a piece um, on the line between life and death. And she looked, my mom was there present with us. It was me, Suhei, my mentor, and my mother. And she looks at me and my mom and she goes, um, your mom had an abortion before you were born. And I was like, no, she didn't. Because my mom's very open and honest. And my mom was like, her eyes just got really wide. And she's like, 
wait, I did. I was like 18 years old. I almost forgot about this. I almost died in this, in this late term abortion when abortions were illegal in Mexico. And um, so Suhei just very confidently, she just knew this and she was just like, you have taken on the role of the first child and you're the second. So you need to work with this phrase that you are the second because you're taking on all of the karma of your family and it's not yours to hold. And that's why you feel so tied to it. There was, there was a lot more to it, but that was one specific thing that was just like really, um, it really made me realize how, how small and yet how intricate our lives are in the grand scheme of things. And I was like, I'm obsessed with this work. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like this never ending curiosity. I'm not sure we're ever going to know everything, which is like the beauty of being alive. And like the curiosity just sparks everything. Was there anything else in your life, like in your, you know, in the previous years that was like a turning point for you, um, for your deeper healing and for getting to know yourself better? Was there anything really difficult that you worked through at any point or recently that has been really activating for you? Yeah, there were quite a few. I mean, so many things, but I think one of the things that was really interesting about my story, um, and I guess this showed up at two points in my life, was self-healing. And this is also why I love quantum work, um, because so it, when I was maybe like 12 years old, my parents got had a really bad divorce, and I wasn't speaking my truth at all. And I got what is called vitiligo on half of my face. So half of my face had this autoimmune disease, disease. they call it a disease. I don't really love that term. Um, but half of my face turned white. My, my pigment, skin pigment cells were like attacking each other. And, you know, my dad was like taking me to a makeup artist to show me how to hide it. My mom was like, pray and visualize it going away. And I just fully chose to like love myself and to I, like, it took some time, right? Like, so I had a big identity crisis and was very insecure for some time. But at some point I came around to just like fully accepting myself and um, my vitiligo began to like go away and heal itself. And so the more that I kind of found myself, the more that it would fill in. And it's been, I still have a, like a little bit you can see right there, but um, it's been steadily going away since I was, I don't know, like, 14 years old. So I don't know, it was like, like 13, 14 years now, but, um, that came up. And then another thing was a few years back, right around the time when like maybe like six months after I had been with my current partner, I found out that I was diagnosed with, or that I had HPV and I had precancerous cells and I was having all of this pain in my womb. It was really scary. And I was so disconnected from pleasure and from myself <laughs> And, you know, I was like, okay, this is time to put my teachings to the test and to see if through intention and through deliberate belief that I can heal, if it's possible. So I started doing the quantum meditation every morning and um, connecting to my yoni and looking at it in the mirror and trying to prioritize pleasure, which I don't think I really had as much um, up until that point in my life. And six months later, you know, after a lot, you know, it was definitely a big struggle and a big identity crisis moment for me for like months. Um, but six months later, I went to go get checked up. And just as I had been practicing visualizing, the doctor was like, oh, your results came back clear. You no longer have HPV. So I was able to self-heal that. So I feel like um, that knowing that that we have this capacity to heal ourselves um, is a common thread in my story for sure. 
That's so beautiful, Bella. Thank you for sharing that because it's very vulnerable and I relate to you so deeply. Um, I had like this kind of, I had an abortion and I had such a traumatic response to that, which I didn't even really know. Like I was just like, Oh, it's okay. It's like kind of push it down. But I lost a big patch of hair and I went to the doctor and they were like, you have alopecia, you're going to lose all your hair. And, you know, I was like looking into autoimmune issues and I noticed that actually a lot of people in the spiritual community, if you will, struggle with autoimmune issues, like coming into their healing. And, um, it took me about six months, seven months of doing similar work. Um, and also embodying pleasure because I was like very ashamed of my body and ways or just like wasn't in the maternal, like motherly embodiment at all. And my hair grew back and it was like, and then I had a very similar thing. I got diagnosed with an STD that was terrified me, absolutely terrified me, believed I had it for a long time, uh, did similar work, got tested three times and it all came back negative. And, um, it's just very interesting. And I, I interviewed um, Brie Melanson recently who had almost like an identical story to that as well. And it's just, it's just interesting how these things sync up. But thank you for sharing that because I think it's like, it can be really scary to be faced with changes in our physical like identity as well, because like we, it's like, who are we? Like, who are we beyond our physicality? And like, can I love myself in a way that I don't even recognize yet? But it really puts you to the test when you go through that and you're like, okay, like I have all, you know, it's all love and light until you're like going through the trenches of your own pain. And it's really, really hard. And I think the reason why I like to share these stories is because there's so many people going through it and it's so hard to find information that doesn't feel um, terrifying online. Like you start looking things up when you get diagnoses and like it, it's very triggering to your nervous system and you're just like, oh my goodness, right? So it's it takes so much faith and trust in both yourself and in the universe to get through those moments. But, you know, I like to be that walking example of like, I promise you it's possible, right? Yes. <laughs> it's interesting that we've both experienced that too. It is, isn't it? I know. So what kind of rituals did you bring into your life for your healing process? Like what did you start to do? Mm, yeah, great question. So a few things. I tried kind of addressing my body or myself on all three levels, so mind, body, and spirit. So mind was the quantum practice. Um, uh, and, this, and I guess spirit, mind and spirit were the quantum practice. Uh, the physicality was taking supplements to help me self-heal. So using um, really health, really good health supplements. And I actually just went on YouTube and looked at uh, naturopathic doctor recommendations to self-heal and they worked wonders for me. And then there was also, um, there was also the element of like being present with my body and actually making pleasure a priority, especially when it came to the HPV story. And so you know, at first I felt like I was separate from my yoni. Like I would look in the mirror and I was like, I feel no connection to you right now. And I felt like there was a lot of pain and a lot of wounding that needed to heal. And it was emotional, you know, like even just um, learning to connect, making that time. It wasn't easy off the bat. I bought like a crystal, a crystal wand, which I now love as a tool, but it was scary and intimidating. It was like this cold, hard crystal. And <laughs> it just like, just being with it and letting my heart connect with it and doing these things that in the moment I was like, I don't even know if I fully believe in this, but I'm just going to go for it. And it really ended up helping me. Um, it really ended up kind of helping me to 
reactivate sensation and reclaim safety. Tantric work also really helped me a lot and kind of learning about intimacy outside of sexuality. So like spending moments, like even just like rubbing yourself or holding yourself or massaging yourself, little things like that helped a lot. I love that you're talking about Tantra too, as, as a relationship to yourself too. Cause I think when a lot of us hear Tantra, we think sex and connecting with somebody else, but it, it has so much to do with loving ourselves and touching ourselves. And mm-hmm. yeah, I felt I've always, I feel like I've been shifting out of this more masculine energy into embodying much more of the feminine um, through my own journey as well. Like just, I'm like, if I want to be successful in any way, I need to kind of like embody the masculine a little bit. And I'm finding as I soften into the feminine, a lot more is coming through. And I'm really enjoying that part of the work right now. Have you had any kind of similar experiences with like feminine embodiment work? Has, has that been coming through for you at all? Yeah, absolutely. I think that for me, the pleasure, the disconnect from pleasure happened at a time when my business was exploding and my business was like very in the masculine. It was like, I was overworked. I I didn't really love, I didn't feel like I had much time for pleasure. And so it kind of made me realize that I needed to like make both you know, uh, the feminine flow and pleasure a priority in my life. So I really started shifting everything to allow more space. And now, you know, my mornings, you were asking me about my mornings. I leave like three, three, four hours open in the morning so that I can just flow and, and really like take care of myself and nourish myself. And I used to have this fear that if I did that, that I wouldn't be as supportive to my clients or that I'd be letting people down. And it is so the opposite. Like the more deeply that I take care of myself, the more full I am when I show up to these moments together. Mm -hmm. This just kind of came up to ask you, did you ever have a moment, like when you started working with clients for the first time, did you ever have any kind of like fear or imposter syndrome come up? Like when you first started to work with clients or like, what was your transition into like the business world and, and working so intimately with people like, yeah. So, uh, when, Hmm. When I transitioned my learning and consuming and doing lots of trainings into business, I was terrified and I didn't really know how to charge money. And I feel like the way that I got comfortable and moved through the imposter syndrome was doing exchanges with people. So I would uh, offer free sessions on Facebook groups and I would be like, hey, give me a review and a testimonial. Like, what was your experience? What would you like more of? And I think that continuously interacting with people who I wanted to help, like ideal clients and just ideal humans. So many of the people who I first coached for free, I became friends with later on. Um, but it was it was really beautiful to just starting in integrity. You know what I mean? But yes, the imposter syndrome came up so deeply. And I think the key to, thing to understand about imposter syndrome is that it shows up at every level of your life. Like every time that there is a big leap in my business or my personal life, it shows up. It's just that now I know how to move through it a little bit better. And one of the things I would do before calls was I would put on like a really feel good song and I would just dance it out and I would like power pose and repeat affirmations. And I found that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. And I suppose like we could switch the imposter syndrome narrative to being just getting out of your comfort zone. Cause it's probably a, you know, a marker that you're, you're growing, you're evolving in a way. And that's actually really beautiful. So stepping through that portal is, is wonderful. Yeah. And I love what you're saying about dancing too. I just saw somebody say when you're creating like TikToks or reels or content, like 
your energy reads more than anything as it comes through. So get yourself into a really good place before you create content because people can feel that across the screen. Absolutely. I think when I first started making, because I, I do a lot of the viral videos and it's not like my, you know, it's not like I love, I always told myself I would never do TikToks and now I make reels like every day. Um, but the way that I got into that was just, I would put on music and it wouldn't even be the music that I matched up to the song, but I would just put on songs that felt good and dance around and take videos. Little by little, I became a little bit more comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. I want to journey back with you just for a second to talking mm-hmm. about Tantra and and self-love and embodiment and how that now shows up with your current partner and how how does your relationship flow and work and remain strong and stable? That's a great question. And we're actually working on a couple's communication course right now because it's definitely something that after like three, three and a half years together, you know, that you go through so much together. Um, But I will say that one of the things that I think brought us the closest was when I was diagnosed with HPV and all of a sudden we went from having this like really alive, fiery, you know, intimate relationship to me being afraid of being touched. And uh, he really had to step into this role of not only the divine masculine, but providing deep safety and prioritizing my needs for me to be okay. And, um, Tantra was really one of the things that helped us the most and everybody. Yes, everybody has this like connection to Tantra and sex, but it wasn't actually sex work that we were doing. It was like sitting across from each other and gazing into each other's eyes and breathing together and just doing that. And if it didn't lead to anything, that was okay. It was just about being willing to meet each other and try without like needing the result right away. And that was something that was just really supportive. And I found that There's a few things, but one I think is understanding that um, our sexual relation to one another is different individual to individual. So I am 100% energetic. Like it has to, the energy has to be there. We have to be on the same wavelength. If he's, you know, his head is moving a lot faster and his body is moving faster than I feel out of sync. Whereas he's very like sensual. So it's about the touch and what the environment looks like and the sounds. And so understanding how to kind of soothe each other's nervous systems to facilitate safety and uh, relaxation in intimacy was really key for us. Mm-hmm. So yours is energetic. And then there's also like physical, what are the other ones and what's your partner? Yeah. So he is sensual. It's sensual, energetic. I think one's kinky oh, yeah. and I forget what the last one is, but I know it's like, it's like, um, t- it's like, like it's, it's just like touch. It's just the idea of, um, it's like the idea of like genitals coming together and touching. So like even just visualizing that for some people is like enough to get them there. Don't remember the name of that one. Yes, that all makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> so what does the divine masculine look like to you? How has he brought that to light and what does it look like to you? To me, the divine masculine is about being a container and being willing and knowing how to hold space for the feminine flow. The feminine to me is like all about just being very honest and in truth with the emotions that show up moment to moment. But the masculine is the one, um, the masculine is the one that does it. Hold on one second. I'm like totally losing my train of thought. Yeah. Um, how would I describe this? 
I think that the masculine, the divine masculine is, there's two parts to it. There is the part of facilitating safety. And then there's the part of like grounding the feminine and knowing how to hold her in a very like grounded way. And I'll give you an example. So when it comes to communication, I think that um, understanding that when the woman, like when the feminine is, is emotional and needs to just kind of like be in that flow, not feeling the need to like fix things right away or not feeling the need to um, offer advice right away way and so kind of being attuned to knowing like okay let me just be this really presencing force let me soothe the nervous system of my partner um yeah i think that's kind of how i would describe it i love that yeah it's really interesting to get everybody's perspective too and like how do you feel like the most feminine what makes you feel the most embodied as a woman um well so this is this is a funny question it's funny because i've been thinking about this and i think i used to feel that the feminine needed to be like opened up by the masculine and needed to be accessed and needed to, I had this like mentality that was almost like the princess that needed to be saved kind of energy. And one of the most healing things for me was understanding that like me opening myself up to receiving and, um, you know, being filled with love and being filled with like all of the the power that the masculine holds has a lot more to do with um, just opening myself up. So like we have to be open to actually be in the feminine. So I I think openness is like the perfect all encompassing word. Um, You have to be open to whatever emotions show up. You have to be open to um, communicating whatever you're feeling. And so it's really just this like meeting yourself with an open heart. I think that is, that is how the feminine really flows. Yeah. And there's something about that eye gazing practice that seems to really activate that intimacy because you're so seen, like you're just so seen that it's like, you don't, you can't really back into your shell. Like you just have to be fully there. So I bet that is very helpful. Yeah. 100%. And what is your community seeming to struggle with the most right now? Do you find like there's a common thread in, in the people that you're working with in general that are seeking guidance around something in particular? Like what are, what are most people struggling with? All right, popping in for a moment to chat with you about my confidence course. This is an eight module online self-mastery course and we go through everything from breaking and creating new habits to goal setting to energy clearing rituals, EFT, guided visualization meditations, and so much more. So if you're feeling like you are just ready to up level in some way in your life or you have a project that you've had in mind but are just like a little nervous or scared to take the next step or you just want to get to know yourself more deeply, this might just be the perfect thing for you right now. So you can go to Denim.com slash course and check it out. See if it resonates. And I'll leave the link in the description below as well. All right, back to the episode. I think that what I would say that my community struggles with the most is less so like a specific topic or a specific issue. It has more to do with getting stuck in the stories, getting stuck in the thoughts. I think that this is like a collective problem where people just like um, don't realize that the, our thoughts often aren't serving us specifically when they are about the past and sometimes even when they're about the future. But um, working with trauma, the biggest thing that I notice is that people have this really strong desire to walk you through every step of the painful story when they're ready to address their trauma. And although it's difficult to accept this, the story is often what gets us stuck. 
And so when we get stuck in the negative, the negative feedback loops, we get stuck and we don't, we're not able to um, move through the actual emotional piece, if that makes sense. Yeah, makes total sense. That's really powerful because there's a beauty in like telling the story to release it for people that like have never even felt comfortable speaking about it. But then there's another layer to like, that's where suffering comes in, right? It's like, you know, pain is inevitable, but suffering is a choice at some point. So how do you help people break the loop and start to rewrite their story and start to give themselves like permission to like step away from it? Yeah, I think one of the first things is like there's a dis- there's a difference between acknowledging something and having an aha moment and being like, oh, this came from this place. And then there is uh, being obsessed with reliving and talking about the negative experience that caused you pain. Because at that point, you're reinforcing these neural pathways in your brain that say this is traumatic and men are unsafe or whatever the trauma is for you, right? And so you're just solidifying that. And so if you want to outgrow that, you have to challenge the thoughts. And in my opinion, the way that we can best do that is to... um, allow ourselves to be with the emotions and we're also it's it's a human tendency to run away from the emotions and uh to especially in our society we're so disconnected with embodying our emotions like if i were to roar at you right now and we were at a coffee shop people would be like what is she doing right but if that was just like me releasing my emotion there's no reason why that should be strange so giving people permission to like get embodied and move the trauma out of the body and to understand when it's okay to think about what happened and when it's constructive and to also recognize when it's when it's really not actually helping them Yeah, absolutely. I think we can all think of people in our lives that have stories and narratives and how they even like shift through like family lines. Like I'm thinking about this sweet family I've known from childhood and um, the dad has back issues and has a huge issue with like um, lack and like not enough money and is constantly, he breaks his back like every single Christmas, like at the same time, like it, and it's just a crazy pattern and it's now coming through in his son. His son is developing really uh, difficult back problems and, you know, issues with money and trust and everything. So it's like, it's um, interesting just to see how that identity starts to get passed down through timelines and where there's going to be a break in that circuit in a way. And, and I think like you were talking about earlier, we get attached to our identity and our appearance. So when we have physical issues happen, it's like, oh my God, who are we? But I think I've noticed that people get the same way with emotions. Like if I don't have this story, who am I? Like, if I don't have this repeating story of like my terrible childhood or this or this, people aren't going to love me. They're not going to have sympathy for me. Like, yeah. So what, what, what starts to change for people? I guess it's realizing like that we have a choice to make, right. And that we have the power to change. What else starts to change? Well, I think there has to be this true desire to see change within yourself because when you're triggered and when you're experiencing the reliving of trauma, it is really hard to push yourself to do the work. And most people will just turn to a toxic habit, overeating, uh, not eating, uh, you know, it could be sex, it could be drugs, it could be escapism, it could be buying a plane ticket, it could be anything, right? But if the habit faces us, or if the habit stops us from facing what's truly asking to be witnessed, um, it's not going to go away. So, I think that 
one of the biggest things that I notice <laughs> and that I've noticed within myself is that uh, as you dismantle your trauma and find yourself, finding yourself doesn't always feel good. Finding yourself can feel terrifying because as you remove these pieces of who you thought you were and you get closer to truth, you also um, you also start to realize like just, I don't know, just how, just how much freedom you have, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that taking responsibility for our own well-being and our happiness can be scary at points because it's not like it's nobody else's, um, I don't want to say fault because, you know, I think there's like, there's so much beauty in our pain and it's like such a human experience and it's not a fault of ours to experience pain, but it, it all of a sudden changes life to be like, okay, I need to, I need to be willing to step up and change. And, and it's possible. And for most of us, the reality is that we wait until we hit a breaking point and it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, I think about myself with HPV. Um, I never really made my pleasure such a priority. I never really like made my partners treat me like a goddess. And, and <laughs> not that I make anybody do that, but I never... I never demanded that. I never requested that. I never even thought of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I was at this point where I was completely disconnected from myself and I had to be the focal point, both in my personal intimate relationship and in my intimate relationship with myself, only then did I do the work. Right. And so I think it's, it's important to just remember that all, like you don't have to get to the breaking point, but it is really normal to, to let that be the catalyst for change. Yeah, that's really true. Like catching it before it like comes on and just creates a whole kerfuffle. <laughs> yeah. How have you stepped into like the role as this beautiful leader that you are now? Like, you know, at, at such a, a beautiful level and, and com communicating with so many people across platforms. Like what does leadership look like for you now? And what does it mean to you? Leadership at this point to me looks like following my own rhythm. I used to follow systems, business models, teachings that other people gave me. And now I teach what is the most alive for me. And so like if I am moving through something and I take myself through a practice, I'll turn it into an offering because I trust that other people need it too. I trust that we're all connected on some level. And so for me, leadership has been letting go of the idea that things have to be any certain way and just trusting myself to lead from the place that feels best for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people feel that so deeply. It really comes through in your work, just even if people Thank are getting you. to know you. Yeah. On a basic level, it's amazing. <laughs> is there anything, is there any kind of like wisdom that you bring in from your indigenous roots and your Mexican roots into your teachings that like come up for you often? Yeah, I think there are three big themes that I love working with that all originate from ancient Mexican shamanic wisdom. And the three words to encompass those are imagination, intention, and intuition. And I feel that those three things together, they're not always taught together. Like some of it comes from Toltec wisdom. Some of it comes from other spiritual teachers in Mexico. But those three things together have been just so key in becoming a leader, right? So uh, what is my intention? Like when I'm showing up online, am I showing up because I need to be seen and I need attention? Or am I showing up because I want people 
to, to receive the help that I think I can give them or receive the download that came through that I want to support them with. Um, intuition, learning how to access a state of neutral energy. So intuition, it, it, working with your intuition and strengthening your, your intuition, this is, this is indigenous wisdom, is, is so much more to do with understanding what blocks your intuition and being accountable for noticing where those blocks are coming up and confusing you. Um, true intuition is only accessed in a state of neutrality. So you have to neutralize yourself. Like if you get triggered and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't do this thing that I committed to, that's not always your intuition. That could That's fear speaking sometimes, right? And so intuition often speaks to us through the body or it speaks to us through thoughts, but only when we're in a truly neutral, neutral state. So a lot of it is that energetic work of like, how can I get to a state of neutrality? The breath is a really great tool for doing that. And then imagination. I write now, nowadays I say that I like to work with visionaries because I feel like that's that all encompassing word of the kind of person that I want to attract into my field. People who can envision a better future, both for themselves and the world. And uh, to be a visionary is to be somebody who is willing to trust their imagination and who is willing to utilize their imagination as a tool to call in the reality that they want. Um, so I think those three things together are pieces of indigenous wisdom that I've kind of pulled into my fields. And uh, that definitely comes through a lot in my work. Oh, I love that. The three eyes. That's like, yeah. that's pretty easy to remember, isn't it? I love that. And just, you know, visiting your, your mention of coming from a place of neutrality before making a decision. I'm just noticing I'm having this kind of difficult decision to make and I'm realizing, oh, you just helped me kind of like come to that place of like, okay, if I can just get neutral here and not get emotional about it and just sit with it, what, what will the intuition say? So Yes. Right. And sometimes to get neutral, like if it is a really emotional issue, you have to be with the body first because you have to get the emotion out of it. You have to like get the anger out, scream into the pillow, like do whatever you have to do so that you can like fully feel. Sometimes it's, you feel exhausted, but you're neutral, right? You're like, oh, I went to a hot, I do, I do hot yoga a lot. And so I'll go to a hot yoga class when I have a hard day and I'm like so tired at the end of it, but I'm like, okay, I can really trust whatever comes through now because I'm, I'm very neutral. <laughs> right. So you give it a place to release first and like honor that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I love that so much. <laughs> so Bella, I'd love to hear about what's coming up for you and your programs. You mentioned your, your couples workshop or your offering. Tell us about that and other ways we can work with you. Absolutely. So the primary way people work with me is through my signature mentorship. It's called Divine Alignment Activator. And it's really a culmination of all of my teachings. It's a living library. And it's all about going from trauma to deep empowerment and just so many of the tools that I learn. I also teach um, so that people can help make the world a better place through that program. Um, and Nick and I, my partner and I are creating a couples communication course. It doesn't have a name yet. It's all planned out, but it'll be live in about a month. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And my most recent offer, which I'm launching in a week, I like have pre-sale for it now, is called Coming Home. And I created this offer maybe like two weeks ago. Uh, it, I was having a really hard day. And I was just like feeling so many people's energy in my field and I was feeling confused, really confused and a little bit lost. And so I just went upstairs, I took off my clothes, I started doing movement practices in front of a mirror. I sat with myself in the mirror, I talked to myself, I did some shamanic recapitulation work and some other things. And the whole experience just felt 
like channeled and it felt so special. And I was like, I'm so glad I recorded this because this is going to help people. So I like, I, I often record myself when I do things just in case something comes through. I also think it's a really great accountability tool because if you're recording yourself, you can't be on your phone. Right. So mm-hmm. it like helps you to go deeper. Um, but so that is happening on March 21st and it's going to be like a little mini course, um, with some other goodies included, but the session is really just designed to help people choose themselves first again. I think we're so conditioned to put everything before ourselves first, especially, uh, those of us who are in the feminine. So it's, it's a really beautiful offer. I love that. And yeah, just like signing up for a course like this is like an act of self-love. I feel like to even enter a container like that is like showing up for yourself. So that sounds really beautiful. And remind us of your website again. Yeah, it is belladivine.com with one L. (laughs) Perfect. Bella, thank you so much for being here and being so open and honest and vulnerable. Like, thank you so much. I learned a lot from you in this conversation. So really glad that you're here. Thank you. All right, my friends, thank you so much for being here with us today. I hope you're feeling inspired and lifted and called to action in some area of your life. And of course, everything we chatted about is linked in the description below. A couple more things on Maya. And if you go to HelenDenham.com, you'll find links to work with me if you're feeling called. I have a one-on-one mentorship program, a course called Cultivating Confidence, an eight-module self-mastery course. And there are lots of blog posts up for you. There's a link to sign up for my self-care Sunday newsletter, which goes out every week. I love doing that with you guys. And I also teach meditation on Sundays with Unplugged Meditation and The Den. So looking forward to connecting with you. Again, I'm on Instagram at Helen Denham underscore and at The Lifted Podcast. Talk to you soon. Episodes drop on Wednesdays. I love you so much. Sending blessings. Bye for now.